Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. So today we have Danielle with us, and she is going to share her birth stories. So Danielle, if you just want to start us off with a little bit of an introduction, that would be great. Well, as she said, I'm Danielle, and I am a mom of four. I homeschool three of them. Um, We live on the beautiful island of Maui in Hawaii, but we haven't always lived here, and... My birth experiences are coming from mainland, not an island perspective. So I want to make that clear because it can be very different (laughs) between the two. Let's see. I am a bookkeeper for my husband's businesses, and I'm also a wedding photographer. So how long have you lived there then? You said that was after your birth experience? Yes, I've lived here for, we've lived here for over two years. Well, if you just want to take us to wherever you want to start with that first pregnancy. Oh, yeah. My first pregnancy was horrid. (laughs) It was not a good experience. I had problems from the get-go. It was really rough. And to be honest, my my body hates being pregnant. I love the experience and the journey, but my body hates it, fights it the entire time. But my first pregnancy, I was in the hospital like three or four times because I was dehydrated just from being sick all the time. And like very early on, I started having blood pressure problems, which was really out of the normal for me. Between that and being sick and all that, it was just miserable. I ended up having my first at 28 weeks. And that was really traumatic. So that all happened with, I went to the doctor, let's see, it was about 26 weeks and they did my blood pressure. My blood pressure was like extremely high. It was like 220 over 180, which I should have been having a stroke or heart attack or something at that point. So they were panicked and they admitted me to the hospital And at that time, we were in this little coastal town that didn't have good facilities or anything. So I had to transfer to a bigger town with a specialist and ended up having him two weeks later due to my body basically starting to go in what's called help syndrome during pregnancy. So it's basically where like preeclampsia elevates beyond preeclampsia and it's like a life or death situation. So they had to take him at 28 weeks. We were in the hospital with him for just a little over two months. So that was my first birth experience. And it was very traumatic. I was, I had him, let's see, a week before my 19th birthday. Being young and naive, you just don't really fully realize what's going to happen. And at that time, I didn't realize how bad it was or anything. And that is one experience that I could say where a C-section was definitely needed. You know, there's a lot of experiences where C-sections are not needed. And I can give more examples of those in my 
next pregnancies or next C-sections. But that is when I can say is like, was definitely needed. Like, cause at that point it was like, one of us is going to die or both of us is going to die and they had to get him out. My pregnancy was the same, but different with my second. How much of a, an age gap was there? So there was three and a half years between the first and the second. My first healing with the C, my first C-section healing was amazing. It was great. It wasn't like rough or anything. I healed well. I was up walking. Well, I had to be in bed for a certain amount of time, but once they let me up and walking, I was like walking as much as I could. My second, I went in for a doctor's appointment at just past 35 weeks. Because of what happened with the first, they were really carefully monitoring things and everything was going okay. There was my, I was starting to have a blood pressure problem, but it was later on. But I went in for a regular checkup. They were doing blood draws every time I went in to check platelet levels because what happened with my first is my platelets dropped drastically. And so they really wanted to monitor that in my second pregnancy. So when I went in for my 35-week appointment, they did that. And the doctor was concerned because they could see it starting to happen again, what happened in the first pregnancy, but it was at a much slower pace. So my doctor said, you're not going home today. We're going to deliver this baby today. So they admitted me to the hospital and they gave me the option to have an induction or go for a C-section, but I was still really young. I mean, I was only 22 at that point. And when the nurse came in and explained the induction to me, it scared me because they're like, we'll have to stick this device up there. Now I know more and I know what they were talking about. But at that time, I had no idea. They were like, we would have to stick this device up there, which is a Foley bulb. But I didn't know what it was called at that time. And we would slowly expand it to try to get your cervix to open. And at that time, at a certain point, we would start giving you Pitocin to try to give you contractions, but there's still a very high risk. You would end up being a C-section again. And she just wasn't very comforting when explaining all this. So it kind of terrified me in an already scary situation because of what happened with my first. I knew what to expect with a C-section. So I was just like, okay, just do the C-section because the first one sounds absolutely terrifying right now. And if an induction is presented like, well, you might end up in an emergency C-section anyway, then it's like, well, what's the point if... Exactly. And they don't tell you, yeah, they're, especially after a first C-section, there's still a high, even with an induction, there's still a high success rate, but they don't tell you that or expound on that. They just tell you, oh, there's a chance you could just end up in an emergency C-section again. So I went for the C-section again. That C-section went off great. Baby was born. But within a few hours, there's an issue with the baby. And the issue was that he had inhaled amniotic fluid when they pulled him out because they pulled him out in a different direction than they normally because of his positioning. So he ended up in the hospital for a little bit, only like a week because his blood sugars were low and they were trying to get the fluid out of his lungs. He did great. I had no plan of becoming pregnant anytime soon. I was like, I want to wait. I liked the three-year gap. I wanted to just stick with that. That did not happen. (laughs) I got pregnant. Let's see. He was like not even a year, quite a year old when I got pregnant again. 
with my third. And that pregnancy was probably the easiest pregnancy out of the three. And the doctor, my doctor at that time, didn't give me an option. I mean, that was almost 12 years ago. But he didn't give me an option to try for VBAC or anything at that time. It was just like, you know, automatic C-section. So I did the C-section. C-section went great. But in postpartum, I started to have severe hemorrhaging and lost mass amounts of blood that they were going to have to take me back in to surgery for a different type of surgery and then give do a blood transfusion. Finally, they got the bleeding to stop. I begged my doctor not to do a transfusion right away. He said, okay, we'll hold off. But if your numbers don't go up in the next hour, you're getting the blood transfusion, whether you want it or not. Everything went fine after that, but it did take me several, several months to recover after that C-section, just because of the mass amount of blood loss and then having a newborn baby, a toddler, and a (laughs) five-year-old. So it took months of recovery after that. And because of, you know, the severe postpartum hemorrhage, I swore I was done having kids. I'm like, I'm done. Never again. I don't want to go through that. It was horrible. And that's another thing a lot of doctors don't talk about is with each C-section, your risks for, you know, postpartum hemorrhaging, different things. There's several different things, uh, previa, all those things that go up after each C-section. And they don't talk about that enough either. Yeah, um, you, you often hear the risks associated with a VBAC, but don't always hear all of the risks associated with another C-section, especially depending on which number C-section it is. Yeah, and your risk for infections even go up after each C-section. You know, it's a major abdominal surgery. Had you had VBAC on your mind at all before that third C-section? I know you said your doctor really didn't make it an option. Yeah. I had like, okay, I would like to, you know, I want to see if it's an option to have a VBAC because especially after we made it past, you know, like 36 week mark, I was like, okay, I want to see if there's an option, especially if I wait to go full term. But I was, again, still young. I was only like 24, 25 at that time. And I didn't, I wasn't educated enough to say, okay, or question what, my doctor say, Hey, what about these options? And so I didn't push for it when I probably should have been like, Hey, what about this? And honestly, there's several, like I've met good doctors and doctors that just want to do their job. And I've met doctors that, you know, want to sit there and educate yourself and educate themselves to be better understanding and have more knowledge of certain aspects because no one patient is the same. And my doctor was more of, he was a great doctor. He was amazing. I loved him, but he was more of the, let's just do it this one way. And I was too young to question it. And that's another thing is a lot of people don't realize you can question your doctor. It's okay. (laughs) Well, exactly. Like you said, each patient is different and you have different, you have different values. You have different wants. You have different family planning intentions. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're someone who wants to have a huge family and have eight or 10 kids or whatever, if you have those first couple C-sections, your chances of being able to have that many children, I mean, 
because with each risk of or with each cesarean different risks going up you're not you don't want to have eight or ten cesareans so i mean if you know well i only want two kids and so i mean it just it changes the way that you look at what your options are for your births or what you want to have in the future because there are people who are okay with having repeat elective cesareans and that's fine with them and that's the risk that they choose to have but when you're not having those full conversations and having someone give you that information so that you can make the best choice for you it it takes that choice out of your hands and that's difficult it does and i don't know like after my third c-section i also felt like i didn't have control over my body or what my choice was for my body and so i swore i was like you know after everything I had gone through with the previous three and then going through that horrible postpartum hemorrhage experience, I was like, I'm done. I'm never having kids again. We're done, babe. I'm done. But about probably five years later, I would say it wasn't even five years later. I wanted to educate myself more. And I was started reading books, started talking to other women, started um, just basically finding anything I could about, you know, C-sections birth, home birth. Uh, I read Ina May's books just to see what, you know, she talked about in some of them. I watched YouTube videos about home births. And then it, that led to trying to find had anybody had a home birth after three C-sections? Was it even possible? Then we like got to talking and we're like, you know, let's try for another one. Let's just you know, let nature take its course. If it happens, it happens. And so like I had had the Marina for that entire time from my third C-section all the way until six years later, we decided to get it removed, let nature take its course, but I got pregnant right away. And something that another thing that I didn't know about that can happen when you use um, IUDs with hormonal is a lot of women like them because it takes away the period and you don't have to worry about getting pregnant, which is great. I loved it for that reason, but it is putting hormones into your body and the hormones it is putting into your body makes it so your endometrial lining in your uterus can't build up. And that's why most women don't get periods or get very light periods because it's not allowing it to build up like it should. Well, when you get pregnant, you need that endometrial lining for the placenta to hold on to and grasp onto. So when we got, we got pregnant right away within two weeks of getting it removed and we were excited. We had told people about 12 weeks because I had experienced a miscarriage before. So we were just kind of waiting until after the 12, 13 mark week mark to tell people we told people and then soon after we told people my grandpa got really sick he had had cancer for years and got sick and there's a lot going on with that well during that time I had to go to my 20-week appointment and the ultrasound tech got really quiet and so as soon as she was quiet and not wanting to answer questions we knew something was up I mean that's another thing is they don't make it, they make it obvious when something's wrong. And so we just had like this, a little bit of a sinking feeling. 
So my doctor came in and said, you know, we see an issue with the baby and we want you to go to the specialist in Seattle. So we went to the specialist, they did ultrasounds and that is when they explained what was going on with the baby. What was happening was my placenta was starting to detach from the wall. And they said, they explained to us how, you know, the lot, it was likely due to there not being enough endometrial lining on the uterus to hold the placenta to it. So the fluid around the baby was starting to be replaced by blood. They recommended terminating the pregnancy and we just, for personal reasons and, you know, just our own personal convictions, we didn't feel comfortable doing that. Even though we know we're well aware that the likelihood of him making it to 40 weeks and surviving was not going to happen. We went back to our regular doctor. He supported us in that decision, waiting it out and was like, you know, if you don't wait it out, you'll always wonder what if. So if you just wait it out, you'll know. And at that point, there was a more risk to me because of the placenta detaching. Where I knew baby wasn't going to make it, the risk to me at that was to me at that point because you can bleed to death and hemorrhage again. So I just took it easy, was careful, and have I had to go get ultrasounds every week to see, you know, what was going on. He ended up passing at 28 weeks on his own. And at that point, I had a, I had a really supportive doctor for that experience because he fully, I was like, I do not want to have an unnecessary C-section on top of all of this going on and us dealing with this loss. Um, is there anything else we can do? And he's like, yeah, we can do an induction. He's like, I can the hospital wasn't the most to be back friendly hospital. And he's like, we can talk to them. I will tell them, you know, at this point, you know, there's no risk to the baby. It's just you, your baby's still small. So he got the hospital to go along with it. And I was allowed to have an induction, which that was an experience in itself. After the induction, a it was a terrible loss and everything, but it also gave me a confidence that, okay, I can do this. Yeah, this is a different experience. And even at that point, doctors don't count it as a VBAC. So oh, they, wow. So they just, that. yeah, so they just counted it because he wasn't considered full term. They just, they call it an induction. They don't call it a VBAC. They call it an induction. Even though at that point, it wasn't considered a VBAC. I was like, okay, I did this this way. I did it faster. So they warn you that, you know, this could take several days. It only took me 24 hours to deliver the baby. And my doctor was shocked at even it took that long. Like, or I shouldn't say that long, that short of time. So, but it gave me a confidence that, okay, my body does know to a point what it's doing. I'd never been in labor before or gone into labor before. And it let me know my body is not a lemon, basically. It's not broken. It doesn't know what to do. It can do it. So after that, we, you know, grieved, all that. And I had to go in for my six-week checkup with my doctor. And I was like, okay, so when do you think we should, is okay to start, you know, 
not preventing it and just let nature take its course again. He's like, honestly, anytime when you feel ready, he's like, you didn't deliver a full-term baby. It's not like your body had to go through as much trauma going through a full-term pregnancy and delivery. So whenever you feel comfortable, that's when I say you can go ahead and do it. So I was like, okay. So we gave our body time to heal and just emotionally heal. We had three other kids who were dealing with the loss too. Can you talk, if you're comfortable, can you talk about that a little bit? Just all of the emotions that you as a family went through or different supports that you used? Yeah. So I think my biggest support was number one, my husband. And honestly, just myself and not trying to like cover up things, but just deal with them, deal with them, get it out of the way. Once I did that, it was fine. Like the hardest part, honestly, was, you know, it was hard walking out of the hospital knowing you had a baby, but they weren't going home with you. It was hard the first night, not feeling that baby with you or having them next to you. That was hard. But the hardest part when it like, I wasn't in too much pain or anything. The hardest part was dealing with my milk, trying to come in and nothing like the pain of being engorged and then not being able to feed a baby, but there's my body knows there's supposed to be a baby to feed. That was honestly probably the hardest part of it all because every time there was like pain in my breast from wanting being engorged, it was like brought up the pain that there's no baby there. And so once I just dealt with it, I, there was one day where my mom had come in, flew in to be with the kids, help with the kids. And there was one day where I just laid in bed and cried all day. I didn't care. I just laid there and cried. And I think that was the best thing I could do because once I cried and got it all out, I went through all the, you know, the different emotions. I grieved. I was mad. I was hurt all in that one day. But once I got it out, I was better. And I knew I needed to get it out because I had three other kids that needed their mommy and were going through their own emotions because even though they didn't experience it in the same way, they knew what was going on. They knew that that they weren't going to have a brother coming home. And so I needed to be there for them and they needed to see that mommy was okay. So that was important to me to get my emotions out so that they could see mommy was okay because if mommy was okay, they were going to be okay. Thank you. That was really, you're welcome. (laughs) And about three or four months after that, we were like, okay, we feel we're ready. We'll just let nature take its course. We're not going to prevent anything. When it happens, it happens. But we did want to give a few months because we wanted to give my body enough time to heal and build up a good endometrial lining because we did not want to go through that possible experience again. So about four months later, We decided to let nature take its course and I got pregnant right away again. (laughs) During that pregnancy, I was okay. Like I did great. Once we got past the 20 weeks, I felt a little more relief and I knew I wanted a VBAC. I didn't really know about home birth, but like when we first got pregnant, 
before I wanted to be back. But I didn't because of everything going on. I never got a chance to, you know, talk with my doctor or really search out another doctor because there's just too much going on. And, you know, at the point we knew he wasn't going to make it, we were kind of like, you know, what's the point? So with the, my next pregnancy, I was like, I know this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. But I just didn't have confidence to talk about it until we got after the 20 week ultrasound and we knew everything was okay with the baby. And then once we got past the 28 week ultrasound, I was like, okay, now I know this is what I want. We're okay. Everything's okay. We're doing this. And then came the real struggle because my doctor, I had the same doctor, but he wasn't as supportive of going through with the VAD VBAC after three C-sections as he was the induction because of the risks. Now, I think if I would have went into the hospital and demanded, you know, this is what we're doing and fought it, he probably would have been like, okay, I ain't fighting with you because that was just the kind of person he was. He was just like, okay, it's your body. You do what you want. And before that I had gone and interviewed several doctors, not in my area because I lived in a smaller town but had driven like three plus hours to doctors that were very supportive of feedback. And they were just like, you know, we can't take you on at this point. And I even had one doctor tell me, you know, I can't take you on because of my other colleagues in our clinic, but I think you can do this. And he's like, I know you can do this. You would probably be very successful. And he's like, you do what you have to do. And he's like, even if you have to come into the, hospital in labor, ready to push. You do that. You do you. And I think that gave me a, another boost of confidence to s- hear a doctor say, okay, yes, you can do this. You would probably be very successful. So then after that, I was just feeling down because I wasn't finding any supportive doctor. That caused a lot of other issues to be brought up from the loss. And then I started feeling kind of doubting myself. And being, it was bringing up anxiety and other issues. And then once I got past that, which with the help of my husband, I was like, you know what? Yeah, we can do this. And my husband was very supportive. I think that's another huge thing is having a very supportive husband. Or if you don't have a supportive husband or your husband doesn't know how to be supportive, get a doula or something. Some Find somebody who is your support. But I started looking around for home birth midwives. The last option was to stay at home as long as possible and go into the hospital and labor and say, no, I'm not having a C-section. I'm doing this my way. But I really wanted to try to find a home birth midwife. I looked everywhere. I found somebody three hours away from me. And she was like, if you want to come here for do it to, and do it, I will do it with you. But that's just really risky and a long drive. So she started helping me find other midwives that might be closer to me. And we finally found one. And she had done feedbacks. Um, she hadn't done anything more than after one C-section. Oh, and here's another thing. We didn't find her until I was 35 weeks pregnant. <laughs> And I didn't tell my doctor my plans or anything. I just kept going and seeing him because he was really good for that aspect. And then we went and interviewed her within 
two days of finding her. She was an hour and a half away. And we went and interviewed with her. She's like, you know what? I really need to think about this and make sure that I'm doing the right thing. So a few days later, she called us back. And and that was another thing is she wasn't comfortable coming to us. She wanted to figure out a way for us to be near her because she was familiar with her hospital. She had worked with the doctors at her hospital. And she just wasn't as comfortable coming to our area. So when she called back a couple days later, she said, is this something you guys are sure you want to do? And I was like, yes, we know we want to do this. We know we want to go this route. And she's like, okay, um, let's do this. And she's like, I know the house is an issue. So I'm going to offer up my house to you guys to be able to do it in. And let's do this. So from, I was about 36 weeks at that point. And we had set up my appointment for right at about 36 weeks. So I continued to see her from 36 weeks on. And I think because of all the stress of everything at that point, my blood pressure was up a little bit, but it wasn't concerning to her. And it wasn't at a level that should be concerning. It was just, it started to go up. And because of my history, she's like, we just need to carefully watch this. Everything went great. Um, At 37 weeks, I started having prodromal labor, which is miserable. If anybody's ever had it, and it's different for everybody. It's not like you can read it and what to expect when you're expecting. And it's the same for everybody. It's very different. Um, For me, it was like, five to six hours every morning, just feeling miserable and like basically Braxton Hicks, more like contractions, but they were like more together, just not very strong. So this went on every morning from 37 weeks until I had the baby. I went into labor at 39 weeks and five days in the middle of winter um, where we lived is snowed. And it would snow a lot. I woke up the, the day before I had, I should say this, the day before I'd felt great. I had like a huge burst of energy. I have food allergies, but I was craving a donut and I never eat donut because of those food allergies. But I was craving a donut. So I was like, I'm going to go get a donut. I ate a donut. That was the only morning I had not had the prodromal labor. And I didn't think anything about it. I was just feeling great. I wanted my donut. So the next morning, about four o'clock in the morning, I started having what I thought was intestinal cramping from eating my donut because that's what some food allergies feel like. And I was like, oh man, this is miserable. And I kept feeling like I had to go to the bathroom. Was it happening? And my husband's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, it's just that stupid donut I ate. <laughs> it's causing me problems. And his, I kept having to feel like I was going to the bathroom every five minutes. He's like, I don't think so. And so he like, he started, he knew he, we had to time contractions because the midwife had talked to him, you know, if she starts having contractions, make sure you time them because of, we had to drive an hour and a half to her. So he timed them for like, 20 minutes and I was having gas pains like every three minutes lasting like 60 seconds. He's like, um, I'm calling the midwife. So he called the midwife, told her what was going on. And she's like, you need to leave now. I was like, I got everything 
I needed, I was ready to go to 30 minutes, but my husband thought he needed to shower. So he needed to get ready for the birth. <laughs> I was in the shower. I was like, by this time they were like coming on really strong. I was feeling a little stronger than, you know, intestinal cramps. And I was actually having to like breathe, stop a little bit through the contractions and breathe through them. But I still was not convinced I was in labor at this point. I was like, I'm not in labor. So we got in the car. I, we were in the car by 5.15 in the morning. And we got in the car. We were driving, having contractions the whole drive. And I was actually getting mad because I'm like, I'm going to be so mad if this is false <laughs> labor. And we get all the way there and it's not the real thing. I was like, I'm going to be so mad, but on the drive, the drive wasn't too horrible. The contractions had spaced out a little more, but they were coming in stronger and harder. We got to the midwife's house. She had everything ready and set up. She had one really nice room set up with, she had like, I feel blessed because she had like put soothing lights on, put up like birth affirmations for us, had the, I wanted to do a water birth. She had set up the pool for us. Everything was ready to go. The only thing is she had to, she didn't want to heat up the water for the pool until we were there and ready to get in. And she didn't want us getting in until after six centimeters or the transition period, because the pool, I guess, can slow down labor if you get in too early. So we got there. I had to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom. I am one of those people who I didn't have my bloody show or anything until right then when I went to the bathroom. And at that point she could tell I was about three or four centimeters just because of that happening. Right after going to the bathroom, she had me get comfortable, whatever I wanted to wear, get in bed. And I had one really big, strong contraction. And the, she's like, I want to check you just to, you know, see where we're at. And at that point I was at six centimeters already. So she's like, if you want to get in the pool, you can. So do you remember about what time that was at? So let's see, we left our house about 515. We had an hour and a half drive. We had had a snowstorm like two days before. So my husband was trying to drive as quickly and safely as possible. And we got to her house a little before seven and by seven twenty, seven thirty is when I was able to get in the pool. I'd started feeling at that point, soon after getting into the pool, I started transition and I had horrible back labor, horrible. Like afterwards, she's like, you've had the worst back labor I've ever seen because she could literally see the back base of my spine spasming up and tensing. I'm very thankful for the pool because I think it helped a lot and I cannot imagine what it would have been like afterwards. But after being in the pool a little bit, once I was in transition, I, it like took off. It was no slowing down. And she got concerned because I was shooting out little squirts of blood. And what was happening was I was dilating so fast that the blood vessels on my cervix were bursting. It was kind of odd to see it happen, a little concerning, but that's what was happening. And by 9:24, baby was delivered. So I had 
she estimated it from the first contraction to when baby arrived, I had like a five hour labor, which is amazing and crazy all at the same time because your body has no chance to slowly go into it. It's like, you know, zero to 60 and like, boom, you're in labor. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a baby. <laughs> yeah. And so even when baby was like, I, even in, up until transition, I still was not convinced I was in labor. When transition hit, I was like, oh man, this is horrible. And I still didn't think I was that far into my labor process. And so I was thinking once transition hit, I still had like a ways to go. And I was like, I can't handle this. This is horrible. This is awful. And she's like, no, you're in transition. It's almost over. And I'm like, there's no way it can't be. This is my first time. You know, every story I read, it was like women took quite a long time. Some women were in labor for a couple of days. And I was like, I didn't never thought I would have been one of those women to experience a fast labor for technically it wasn't my first, but it was my first time going into labor on my own. And so I, up until transition and she's like, no, you're almost having a baby. You're going to have a baby anytime. I was not convinced I was in labor. So once, even once baby was here, I was like, and she's like, your baby's out. I was like, no way. I was like, really? She's like, yeah, you can turn over. I'm like, because I labored in the pool on my hands and knees because that was the only comfortable position for me in back labor. And that's another thing. Find a midwife who's, you know, there and supportive, but as hands off as possible because she was, and she was like, you do what your body tells you. If your body tells you to do this, that's what you do. And I will be here to support you. And your husband will be here to hold you if you need to, but you do what you need to do. So I did. And once I had the baby out, I was like, I still couldn't believe the baby was out. Like, I was in shock. <laughs> I was like, no way. And my husband's like, you did it. You did it. You did so good. You did it. And I'm like, holy cow. Holy <laughs> that cow. just happened. <laughs> I was like literally saying, oh my goodness, I can't breathe. Holy cow. <laughs> I like literally felt like I went my midwife even said she like had to help me breathe because at some point I was like holding my breath so intense she thought I would pass out so I was like in total shock like when it actually happened and then like that birth high you always hear about it's totally a real thing like I was like yeah whatever like I'm sure it's real but I'm not sure it's like you know as big as you make it out to be and it totally is I think especially after having c-sections and then feeling like going through the motions of feeling like oh well maybe my body can't have give birth naturally maybe i'm only can have c-sections to having three c-sections and then delivering at home <laughs> at vaginal birth it was just like an incredible high at that point we sent pictures and told my family because at that point i hadn't told my family what i was doing i have very opinionated family members. And so we had only told two people what we were doing, my mom and his mom, because, well, my mom, I knew she wouldn't give me anything negative because she's like, even if she doesn't agree with it, she'll keep her mouth shut and say, you know what? It's your choice. You do you. And we told his mom because we were counting on his mom to come and help watch with the kids. So they were the only two people we knew about so 
as soon as he was born, my husband sent a picture and he was bragging about it. And it was like, yeah, Judd Marshall Carlson delivered the date, time, all of that at home in the water and all this other stuff. A lot of my family is in the healthcare industry, like nurses and physician assistants and licensed practitioners and stuff. And so that's another reason I didn't, I kept a lot of it to myself was because I didn't want to deal with backlash on that end, I guess. And then even when they came out, they said, whoa, 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 what? You had a VBAC after three C-sections and you did it at home. My cousin was like, you're giving me a heart attack. <laughs> and she's a L&D nurse. <laughs> and I was like, yep, I did it my way. And I think that's really important for women to understand is there is options out there for you. And you can do it your way. Finding somebody who's supportive, whether it's a doctor or a home birth midwife, finding a supportive provider is, I think, that one of the biggest keys to success. And another huge key is being confident in yourself and knowing that your body isn't broken, educating yourself and being confident in your education that or your knowledge of what you've educated yourself with. Because I... I know for me, I knew what I wanted. I was like, nothing's holding me back at this point. And I did it. And then when I did it, I couldn't believe I did it. <laughs> so I that's think that's so awesome. one of my biggest things for women is to be confident, educate yourself, be confident in that education, find supportive provider and Educate your husband at the same time too, because I think that was another huge thing is my husband wanted to know why I was making these choices and wanted to educate himself so he understood better. And if your husband's not willing to do that, then find a doula or a friend that is or somebody. Just having a supportive circle is huge. So important, especially when like you were saying, if, if family maybe is a little bit skeptical or you're choosing not to share that, or it's something that goes a little bit against the grain of what other people might choose to do. And you have to keep it a little bit closer to your heart for a while. It's still important to have at least one person that you can go to and talk about all of this too. Cause you have to have someone to kind of process through everything, even if it's your your fourth or your fifth or your sixth birth, there's still going to be something that you're like, okay, I just need to talk this out with someone. So having that one person that you can lean on and that you trust and that will be there to support you in your choices is very important. Yes, definitely. So was there any, I know you said you didn't decide on, or you didn't find that midwife until that 35, 36 week mark. From that point until your baby was born, was there any like specific prep or anything that you and your husband did that was VBAC related or even earlier in the pregnancy, I guess, or are you just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to do this and we're going to roll with it. <laughs> well, I read everything. I um, joined VBAC groups. I even joined VBAC groups that were specifically for vaginal birth after multiple C-sections, because even if, you know, there's things that, you know, my husband is a great sounding board, 
but there were things I was concerned about. And I wanted to hear from other women who had gone through, you know, a home birth or a vaginal birth after multiple C-sections, if this was normal or, you know, if this was okay or what, you know, just hear others' opinions and experiences. And so I think that was really important too, because it gave a, because even in those groups, you're going to have like multiple different, like, I can't believe you did home birth or, you know, yes, do home birth or you should have had a specialist doctor. Yeah. Very opinionated. You're going to have opinions no matter what, but it was very nice to hear others encouragement because for the most part, almost everybody was encouraging in them and they wanted you to succeed. And that's big. I had read other things, you know, to make sure that I had watched my diet very carefully because I wanted to make sure my blood pressure stayed under control. Um, I wanted to, and I wanted to do it by diet as much as possible. So I read things about that. I read up on drinking red raspberry leaf tea. So I didn't start that until 32 weeks. And then I gradually did that. While I don't think it, like I know someone, should I drink tea to make me go into labor? I don't think it'll make you go into labor, but I do think it helps prep your uterus to better handle like the stronger contractions. And then I had read up on dates and a lot of stuff about dates. So at 36 weeks, I started trying to eat dates. They gagged me. Ugh. I couldn't, I had so many people recommend, oh, do it this way, wrap it in bacon, fill it with cream cheese. I tried, I'm very much a texture person and it was gagging me. So somebody said, oh, Lara bars have two dates in them each. So I was like, really? So I read up on it and yeah. Lara bars, the ones made with dates, have two dates each in them. So then I started, okay, I can eat Lara bars. So I started eating three Lara bars a day. And I really think the dates helped a lot, Um, especially for first time going into labor, how smoothly and well, labor was intense, but like as far as, you know, cervix dilating, body doing what it's supposed to do with that aspect of it. I think they helped a lot because I did not need any, she didn't have to break my waters. They stayed intact until right before baby came out. I didn't need any kind of, she need to like strip the rest of my membranes or, you know, anything that you hear about happening a lot in hospitals or, you know, I've heard a lot of weird things. So I was like thankful that none of that happened. And I think the dates helped a lot with that. So that was really the only prep, I guess you could say I did. I didn't do childbirth classes. I had asked my midwife if she thought I should get a doula because it was my first time, going to be my first time going into labor and that stuff. And she had already told me that as soon as I went into labor, she wanted me to come to her house. And if I needed to be there for two days, I could. But she didn't think for me it was necessary because she was going to be with me the entire time. But she had said that she recommends it to a lot of women who where she can't be with the entire time because they can help, you know, with pressure points and helping with, 
you know, like my back labor, my midwife was like pushing on my back, whereas the doula would help with that. So I think if you're going to, even in a hospital, you can have doulas in hospital. And I think, you know, a doula is very needed in certain situations. And I would have gotten a doula if it hadn't been for me being with my midwife the whole time. So then what did the immediate postpartum time look like? So after after your baby's born, you're in the pool. Were you, I guess I forgot to ask backing up a little bit too. You said you were on your hands and knees in the pool for most of the time. Is that the position you pushed in as well? Okay. So that's the position I pushed in. And then as soon as baby came out, she's like, you can turn over. So I turned over and then I was on my, basically sitting in the pool on my bottom. And we stayed in there for a couple minutes and then she had us get out. She um, gave me tink- tinctures like a few drops of things to help. And then I was getting kind of tired. My uterus was tired. So she did give me a very small shot of Pitocin um, to help deliver the placenta because at that point my uterus was like tired. She's like, okay, well, we're just going to give you this little boost. You're not even going to feel it. And I did it. It was small enough that I didn't feel like I'd had Pitocin before and it was nothing like that experience. It was very small. I didn't even feel it. And postpartum was great. Like she kept having to remind me, you know, you're going to feel great compared to your C-sections, but you just had a baby. You need to slow down. You need to, you know, get rest. You need to. And I was like, man, I feel great though. (laughs) I was like, I can get up and walk. (laughs) And I did. I was like, I walked and she didn't want me walking alone. She wanted to make sure, but like less than an hour after giving birth, I walked and got up from bed and walked to the bathroom. And it was like, if I had a C-section, I would never, I would still be in bed with a catheter in not being able to get up. And so it was just amazing to feel like more in control of myself and my body and my choices. And then how, how did the transition home go? Were you at your midwife's house just for a couple of hours after birth and then you guys went home or? No, she had us stay um, until then. We stayed until the next morning. She checked us. We did all the baby stuff. My husband, it was neat because my husband actually got to do all of that. He got to measure the baby with her, you know, do the head circumference. He got to weigh the baby. That never happens in the hospital. So it was a new experience for him too. It wasn't just like, you know, me only, it was new things for him too, that he didn't get to be involved in. Um, but we went home, we stayed the first night with her at her home. And then we went home the next morning and we had asked for no visitors, um, just for the first, you know, week, there were certain people we did allow to come, but we had just asked for, you know, no visitors for the first week, enjoy our private time. We ha- she had made us signs to put up for that. She encouraged that. She's like, this is your time to bond with your baby without interruptions for your kids to bond with your baby. So she had already like given us signs like a week of time to put in front of the door or to put on the door and windows. And then when we did allow visitors, she gave us other things, another sign to put in our window and door that said, you know, 
proper newborn visiting etiquette type thing. And I loved it. It was like, I would have never thought to do that. You're like, if you're sick, please don't visit right now. Or, you know, once you come in, wash your hands before holding the baby. Please be quiet. No small children at this time during this first, you know, transition period and stuff. And it's just like really nice to have things like that because while you may do it, it's nice to have somebody else make something like a sign for you. So you don't have to be verbal about it. They can just come up and read it and be like, Oh, okay. And at that point, I didn't feel like I was being rude. I didn't really care either. <laughs> it's like, but then you still time, get to have those boundaries too. Yes. So winter time, flu season, sick season, I ain't risking it, but she made a sign for us to put up that was nicely and politely written, but you know, laid out the rules. <laughs> So then just with all of the emotions from your first couple birth stories, did any of that transfer into this last birth story or how did all of that connect? So yes and no, it didn't transfer to the birth. Like by the time the birth came, I honestly don't think it had time to register there was at one point in the birth where my, my midwife, because she knew this story, you know, all the history and the story and everything. And she's like, at one point um, during transition, she's like, you just got to let it go, Danielle. Let it go. Breathe through it. You know, you're doing this. It's okay. Um, if you're holding on to anything, just let it go and just relax. So there was that point, but I carried it more in the pregnancy than in the birth which I think was a blessing and a curse because by the time birth came, it was, it wasn't there anymore. But like I said, during the pregnancy, I dealt with a lot of anxiety and not necessarily paranoia, but just like that intense feeling like what can go wrong? What's going to happen? What's going to go wrong? I had anxiety with my husband about certain situations even though I know he would never do anything to hurt me or anything, there was just like this compounding pressure on my chest at times. And I had to deal with that. And it was very hard because it wasn't something anybody else could fix. I didn't want to take medication for it because there was a reason it was happening and I needed to deal with it. So while it took me nearly most of my pregnancy to deal with, by the end of my pregnancy, most of it had been dealt with. And I think it helped in the labor process too, that I didn't, wasn't taking that into labor with me. So it wasn't restricting me more than what it could have. Yeah. You sometimes hear about emotional blocks that come up during Mm -hmm. labor that can really stall or completely stop your labor if you're not able to move past them. So yeah, I had heard of that too. And that was, that was a worry of mine. Dealing with the anxiety through the pregnancy was, I was worried about it happening once labor got here or having so much anxiety towards the end, I chickened out, even though I knew this was what I wanted to do, that I would be too scared at the end with the anxiety and everything going on that it would be like, I would get to a point and be like, no, just take me to the hospital and get it over with or whatever. I can't do this. So I knew that I wanted to deal with it basically take it head on and just deal with it and get it over with. And like I said, I think it helped in the end because I didn't want to have an emotional block or anything once I got to that point. Anything else you can think of that you want to add? 
don't be scared of home birth. Like for other women, if you've ever watched Call the Midwife, even back then, they were still having babies. Great show. (laughs) It is a great show. (laughs) They were still having babies at home unless there was an emergency. And yes, those emergencies do happen and they come up, but that's when you find a good, reliable midwife who is familiar with her, you know, the hospital has relationships with the hospital, is not afraid to admit, okay, this is something I can't handle. We need to go to the hospital to let somebody else handle it. Because I do know midwives out there who are very prideful and won't admit when it gets to a point. And that's, that's dangerous because there's a time when there are times when you need to get to the hospital or you need to go to the hospital, but don't be scared of home birth just because of that. Your risk of of having a home birth are far less than interventions that can happen at a hospital. So I think it's definitely a personal choice. It's not for everybody. And that's, I totally respect that. And I think everybody else should respect that. Just like it's a personal choice to have a VBAC or to have a repeat C-section. After my third C-section and we knew we wanted more kids, I didn't want another C-section. If I had to have a fourth C-section, I was like, we're done. I'm not going to have another baby after a fourth C-section because it'll be harder and harder to find somebody supportive. And I didn't want us to stop having more kids or to grow our family bigger, be determined by and possibly unnecessary surgery for me. And I just wanted to have that experience. I was, you know, after my third C-section, I was scared of that happening again. And then we had our stillborn and I wanted to fight for it even harder. And having a home birth, having a VBAC helped, but I think having the home birth with the VBAC, it was healing. It was what I needed to heal from my previous three C-section experiences and from the stillbirth experience. I needed that to heal. Everybody's different. It's okay. Not everybody's choice will be your choice and that's okay. But I know a lot of people get scared because of the possibilities of things going wrong with the home birth and those same possibilities can happen in a hospital and it's still not safe enough that makes sense. There are no guarantees no matter what. Nope. Well, thank you so much. much. I loved hearing all of your stories. I know it went on for way longer than I thought it would. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.